prayer itself is, is this prayer and, um, and even the uh, understanding of forgiveness is sometimes taken from this. And so <clears throat> this is Psalm uh, 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. Uh, you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. Uh, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Uh, here we have a prayer of David, who we looked at last week. It's the man who was God's choice for king. And we remember that the God's uh, God, the man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. He looked at, he looked at David and said, "This is the one I'm going to choose." And he did the mighty things. And David was uh, very seemingly a righteous man, doing good things. And especially uh, when he had the opportunity to take Saul's life when they were in the uh, cave there, and instead he cuts off the hem of his garment, and then he even regrets that. But he says, and, and his people were trying to get him to kill Saul at that point. He says, I'm, I won't lift a hand against the Lord's anointed, right? And because the Lord put him in that place, even though he knew that God had anointed him as the king to follow up Saul. And so we see um, David uh, last week in a very good light in, in God's choosing and blessing and, and using him and making him uh, the new king. We see that uh, he was a king who blessed God in all of these psalms that we read. So many of the psalms, he's praising God for who he is and what he's done and looking to God for the one who would deliver him from all of his troubles and so on and so forth. Um, God certainly blessed David and used him and expanded the kingdom of uh, Israel under him and used David to defeat uh, the enemies of the Lord. We all know the story of uh, David and Goliath even before he was a king, right? And how he comes. And uh, Goliath was the one uh, who uh, was this giant over nine feet tall. And look at him and, 
And uh, so the Philistines were saying, let's, let's have a pact here. We'll send out our champion. You send out your champion. And then whoever's champion wins, the other people will be their, their slaves, right? So we know the story. Dave goes out with a slingshot, hits him in the head. He falls over. Dave goes, runs up, takes his sword, and chops his head off. Well, um, then the Philistines take off. They forgot the rest of the deal, I guess. But uh, um, Saul's killed his thousands. Dave's killed his tens of thousands. We look at that uh, quite often is uh, uh, a story of a giant killing and how if we trust in the Lord, he'll help us to defeat all the giants in our lives that come up against us. But the real story is looking forward to the one who would come, uh, who David was a, a kind of a foreshadowing, the one who would come and defeat the, the giants that none of us could, uh, uh, Satan and, and, and our own sins, and looking forward to the one who would come and be our champion, that is Christ, David's greater son. We see uh, many great things about uh, King David, but one of the good things about um, Scripture, I think, is that those that we would look at as our heroes, it will point out their faults too. That can be encouraging to us at times, because we see our own faults better than anybody, uh, we were to think God's people never have any faults it might really depress us but I want us tonight to see uh, what uh, some things about when when, uh, when believers sin and David certainly did so turn in your Bible with me to um, this psalm is kind of a uh, uh, looking back at uh, something that took place in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Familiar story. Second Samuel chapter 11, uh, the very first verse, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged right, uh, Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It's interesting that spring, I, you know, spring is the time that the kings went out to war. I don't know if this was an annual thing for them. You know, they just go ahead and schedule it. We're gonna, we'll fight you at this place, at this time, whatever. Um, but uh, I know that in those days they didn't fight in winter. Uh, they would take a reprieve, and this happens even up, you know, through our, our Revolutionary War. It's one of the big uh, battles that happened in the Revolutionary War was when uh, uh, Washington took his his men up against the Hessians um, on uh, New, it was Christmas Eve, I think. Uh, and they went out and defeated the Hessians, and they didn't lose, the, the uh, revolutionary forces didn't lose a man, and these Hessians, these German forces that were supposed to be almost indefeatable, uh, they couldn't believe that they were getting, the, the battle was going on then, so they kind of surprised them with going in the middle of winter with snow and ice on the river and all these things. Um, and so it, it really was a thing that the kings didn't do battle in the winter, so here they're going in spring, and uh, I, I suppose there are animosities going on already. And so David goes ahead and sends his men out, but, but David remains. But this is interesting. The kings are the ones that go out to war, but David's not going with them. Okay? 
that's something that seems that even the text itself seems to kind of look down upon uh, from the very beginning here. Maybe David should have gone with his army and with his men out to war instead of remaining in Jerusalem. Well, then we see what happens while he's in Jerusalem there without his army, uh, beginning verse 2 down through verse 5. Someone else want to read those verses, 2 through 5? It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Wow. Maybe, uh, maybe David should have been about what he should have been about, right? If he'd have been out with the army, this certainly wouldn't have happened. But we see what happens instead. He, he looks over, sees a woman bathing, and uh, he didn't look away immediately. He looked and saw she was beautiful, so he inquires about her. And in inquiring about her, he finds out, well... He finds out her name, but he also finds out she's married. She's married to one of his soldiers who's out in battle. He calls her to come over, and the uh, flirtations begin, and, and it, it goes on and on until finally uh, he goes to bed with her, and she uh, winds up pregnant. David knows whose child it is, and she knows whose child it is. That's the reason she uh, sent word to David to say, I'm pregnant. So what's David to do? Uh, he's got a dilemma here. He's created a royal mess. <laughs> it wasn't a pun intended there, but it really is a, a royal mess. Maybe there is a pun there. So what does David do? He comes up with a bright idea. What am I going to do? I put myself in this situation. How am I going to get myself out of it? And we see what he does, verses 6 through 13. Who can I get to read those verses? So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked Joab, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your wife, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When, David, when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. 
was David's solution. I'll get Uriah to come in. It'll just look like, uh, you know, a little bit of vacation. He gets to go into his wife, and she's pregnant. It's his child. A solution. We're covered here. Good deal. I guess he didn't know how faithful Uriah was, how dependable he was, how committed he was to Israel and to their cause. There's a guy that's quite committed to Israel. And by the way, what tribe is the Hittite tribe? One of the enemies. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the enemies. He, this guy's a convert to Judaism, right? He's not from uh, one of the 12 tribes. He's a convert, but he is so committed that uh, when David uh, comes and, and with the pretense of asking him, how's the battle going? And he gets the information. So he says, okay, very good. And, and go on back to your house. And he sends a present. We don't know what the present was. It doesn't say. But sends a present after him. Gift. But he doesn't go to his house. So then he goes down and he sleeps with servants. Maybe you should have given him a desk job. <laughs> <laughs> given him a desk job. Maybe he didn't think about that one. Anyway, he, he, he doesn't go to his wife. And so David calls him up and says, Are you crazy? I mean, you come home. You get this opportunity go and be comforted with your with your wife and and you don't take it and Uriah says how could I do this my brothers at arms are out there and they're not enjoying what you're suggesting I might enjoy how could I do that well David has another trick up his sleeve he says well will you stay here a reminder of the day and then I'll send you back tomorrow that night David calls him over to his house once again to the royal palace and they feast and David gives him a glass of wine, says, would you like another? <laughs> and then another, and then another, and finally Uriah's drunk. And he thinks, surely this will do it. But it doesn't. Uriah instead goes and once again sleeps with the servants. Well, now, David's plan A didn't work, right? Now we got plan B. And that's where we pick it up in plan B. Uh, verses 14 through 24. I need another strong voice. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises, and if he say to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Ahimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archer shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Plan B. 
Well, if I can't trick him into going in and sleeping with his wife, I'll have him killed. And he sends his death certificate with him to deliver to Joab, the, the leader of the army. So sure enough, Joab uh, does what he is asked to do to ensure that uh, Uriah is going to die. And he dies and he comes back with a message. Uh, he sends a messenger back to David with the message. And... Um, that Uriah the Hittite is dead. And uh, so David responds to the messenger to go back to Joab. He says, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. Well, I'm not sure how much Bathsheba was in on the plotting of her husband's death. In fact, she probably wasn't. Now she's heard that it has happened, and we have here in verse 26 her reaction. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Um, you can imagine um, in the guilt that she must have felt at that time as well. And then after a time of mourning was uh, after the time of mourning was over. Uh, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Uh, but the thing uh, David had done displeased the Lord. Um, other translations say something along the line. That this was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and certainly it was. Displeasure seems to be a mild way of talking about it, right? Oh, well, that, he really displeased me. Um, I think the Lord's anger was quite a bit kindled. Here's the man that he has set up as king, and he's done so much for him, and, and yet um, David has done this. And David is uh, kind of scheming. He's almost uh, uh, being a, uh, um, uh, a Jacob here, right? He's being a schemer. Let's, get, let's, let's figure it out how uh, I can make this. And I'll turn out to be the good guy here. Here's Uriah's... Uh, widow who's mourning and I'll bring her in and comfort her. I'll be the savior in, in this respect. So, Well, um, this must go on for, for some time. Uh, this uh, facade of him being the, the good guy and bringing her in and comforting her and making her his wife and, and this thing. Um, in chapter 12, we're, we're going to get to some of the details of uh, 2 Samuel uh, 12 here in just a minute, but You'll notice that Nathan comes to Daniel at this point, and then verse 15, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child uh, that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. It seems to indicate that the time when Nathan comes to David, the child had already been born. Though this is several months later, right, before Nathan uh, comes to Daniel. Hold your place here, because we're coming back. We're coming back to Psalm 51 too, but I, I want us also to look at Psalm 30, 32. Here, once again, uh, David is uh, David is, is uh, talking about uh, his sinfulness and the, the need for being forgiven, and. Um, it seems, I'm thinking that this is probably these months in between here when he's talking in certain verses here. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. And 
this is David's, uh, during these months, this is probably what's going on in David's life, the turmoil that's going on with him. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Man, can you imagine the guilt that David felt and, and trying, to, trying to suppress it and trying to hide it from, uh, not only keep it hidden from everybody out there, you didn't want anybody to be able to see it, but he's trying to, in a sense, hide it from God too. But he knows God knows. And the guilt of it was heavy on him. It's like uh, the weight of the world was bearing down on him. It's day and night. You know, I can imagine him laying in bed and tossing and turning and maybe waking up from a nightmare, seeing, uh, seeing Uriah being put to death at his word, you know. And maybe even thinking of him standing before a judge and being judged as, a, as an adulterer and a murderer. And, and the, the guilt of it was just laying heavy on him I believe during this time I think this is probably the way it is anytime a, a true believer decides he's going to step away from the Lord for a while and go his own way and sin and sin boldly if, if you will and, and be okay with it God doesn't allow us for Christians to live that way and the fact that he would um that his hand would be heavy upon us day and night and make us feel that tremendous guilt. That's not a bad thing. We may feel it's a bad thing, uh, it, you know, during the time. We may say, Lord, leave me alone. Let me go on and sin how I want to. But God doesn't. Instead, he brings incredible guilt. And, and the, the, the pressure of that guilt was, was heavy on, on David as he kept, tried to keep silent about it um, during this time. And uh, so I think that in a sense, when we feel the guilt of our sins and we want, wish God would just leave us alone and let us go on and sin however we wanted to, God graciously doesn't do that. And he graciously didn't do it with David uh, either. He was miserable. Uh, he was miserable at this time. And I think this is something that God certainly does with his children whenever we decide we're going to go against his will. And, and to live comfortably in sin. Well, back to Second uh, Samuel, chapter twelve. Nathan uh, comes to uh, Daniel. Uh, excuse me, comes to David. Nathan's a prophet, and he, he comes. Uh, the Lord sends him to David, and he tells him this story. David doesn't know it's a parable at this time find out. But he tells them this story. There were, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb uh, he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. Uh, it shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. Sounds like a dog in my house. But anyway, <laughs> even slept uh, in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for a meal. 
uh, for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and he prepared it uh, for the one who had come to him. David's response. David burned with anger against the man. And he said to, to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb 40 times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Four times over. Uh, 44. Thank you. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You're the man that did this. And all of a sudden, can you imagine David's face turning red? <laughs> Just flushed with guilt. And Nathan knows this. God knows it. God's hand has been heavy on me all of this time. Well, at this point, at some point here, um, David, back in Psalm 32, I know we're flipping back and forth here quite a bit, but uh, after the Lord's hand has been heavy upon him day and night, and finally uh, God sends uh, Nathan to confront him with it, uh, now what happens? Uh, your hand was heavy upon me day and night. My, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. It's amazing to think that someone who was a child of God could do such a thing to begin with, but even with that, that God would forgive him for such heinous acts of adultery and of murder. Uh, and this is what David was guilty of, and, and God is confronting him with it, and he finally comes and confesses his sin. Here is his prayer in Psalm 51. And as we look at this prayer, we see really what David depends on for his forgiveness. In verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion or your great mercy, blot out my transgressions. Here three times he refers to God's mercy in the one verse. As he comes to the Lord, what is he looking for immediately? He's looking for God to have mercy on him and forgive him on the basis of God's mercy. Not on the basis of anything else, but on the basis of God's mercy. Not on the basis of saying, if you will forgive me, I'll do better next time. And we say, God, have mercy. Have mercy on me. How often have you heard people say, I want justice? Right? We, we certainly want justice in the civil context. And we, we want it that way. But uh, when, we, when we look to our relationship with God, do we ever really say, I want justice? Would that be a good thing? No. But we want mercy. We certainly want mercy because if, we, uh, if, if all we get is, is justice, none of us can stand. But so David here looks for the basis of God's forgiveness, and the basis of God's forgiveness is his mercy. And uh, so he's asking for God to wash away all of his iniquities and cleanse him from his sin on the basis of 
God's mercy. And then the con condition of God's mercy we see in, in uh, verse, uh, verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 51. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Ah, David certainly sinned in this sense against uh, Bathsheba. He certainly sinned against Uriah. certainly sinned against his army that goes out and loses a battle and others are, are killed as a result. And So there was sinning there, but David knows who ultimately his sin was an offense against. He says against you and you only have I sinned. What is he doing? He's, he's confessing his, his sin. This is a, the, the condition on which God's mercy is, is shown and given. Um, he says, then I, as we saw in, in chapter 32, then I didn't, I didn't keep silent any longer. I confessed my sin to you and, and then I knew your forgiveness. What is the, what's the means by which then after he's confessed his sin that God's mercy is, seen, uh, is given to him? Look at me in verse 7, Psalm 51, verse 7. <clears throat> Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be watered in snow. What is hyssop? Huh? It's a type of plant. It grows about uh, 6 to 10 inches tall out there and they would take it and, and cut it and put it on a, <clears throat> on a stick and uh, bind the, the, the pieces together with a scarlet thread and then they would dip it in the blood and that would be what they would uh, you know, sprinkle the blood with, sprinkle it on the altar, sprinkle it on the people. Where's the blood come from? Yeah. Sacrifice, right? It's been a sacrifice. The blood of something else wanted to cover your sin. Uh, cleanse me with hyssop. It's the blood that's coming off of the hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. David recognized there must be a payment, an atonement. Since uh, death would take uh, his place. Or they saw it in the sacrifices that were made in the, in the tabernacle at that time on a regular basis. He saw it and he understood that the sacrifice had to be made. The atonement had to be made in order for there to be uh, entrance into God's place. So we see him pleading for God's mercy and he confesses his sin and understanding that there has to be an atonement made for that, a covering uh, made with, with the blood of the sacrifice. And what else does he see as necessary? Verse 10, glasses here, Psalm 51, 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a, a steadfast spirit within me. Um, what else is he looking for? He's looking for renewal. For renewal, Lord, I I I sinned. Show your mercy on me. Cover me with the provision, an atonement that you provide, and then renew me. Renew, uh, uh, cleanse my heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Give me a new heart. 
heart. Give me a heart that says this sort of thing. I never want to see it happen again in my life. Lord, give me a heart where I'm renewed because of the love that you've shown for me. And that love motivates me so much so never to do this again. Uh, each of us continue to sin. I, I, I don't know that uh, we recognize the severity of our sins. We say, I, I'm not an adulterer. I don't, I, I've never murdered anybody. I've never robbed any banks. I don't do those sorts of things. And, and then we go out on a daily basis and we're idolaters. We see so many things that we want more than God. And so many things that we, um, we put before God in our lives. Maybe good things. Maybe some material blessings that he's given us. Maybe families. Um, and there's so many ways that we can do it. The love of all kinds of things. Love of our comfort. Love of uh, entertainment. So many things that we can become idolatrous. Um, idolatrous of ourselves. Putting ourselves first in all things. And saying, being mostly concerned about God's good gifts to us instead of God giving us himself. Or about God even in the midst of our trials and our hardships, being pleased to use that, even as Paul, you know. I prayed three times for this thorn in the flesh to be removed, and yet I'm glory in my suffering, right? And yet we don't have that attitude. We have the attitude of, God, I'll, I will really be thankful if you'll remove this from me. <laughs> he says, renew... Uh, Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And God does. And um, that's where in, in Psalm 32, when David is praying and, and he even starts it out, uh, how blessed is the man. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Um, David knows the joy of, of being forgiven and, and knows the joy of God uh, doing that on the basis of an atonement, an atoning sacrifice given in his, his stead. We too uh, can know that joy and should know that joy, the forgiveness of sins as God has forgiven us, and every time we sin and we come to the Lord, what joy it should be to know that he has provided for that. And he, and he has and does forgive us. Uh, it doesn't mean that that's the end of the matter, though. With David, uh, he knows the joy of his forgiveness. He knows the joy of a restored relationship with the Lord. But there were consequences to his sin, right? Immediately in, um, in uh, 2 Samuel 11, we saw verse 15 after Nathaniel leaves. What happens to the child? He gets very ill, and at seven days he dies. Nathaniel also tells David that there's going to be trouble in your house from this time on. Was there trouble in David's house from that time on? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Before Absalom, and in fact, when Absalom kind of comes into the picture, 
we have this uh, story of another son of David's, Amnon. Remember him? And he has a he has a uh, half sister, Tamar. Tamar, and uh, he lusts after her, gets her to come in. He basically uh, rapes her, and um, her full brother is Absalom. He finds out about it, and he's out for revenge. And so, not too long, he gets his revenge on Amnon and, and kills him. David says, Absalom, it's a bad thing you did. Get out of here. He exiles him from Jerusalem. Finally, uh, Joab finds a way to get Absalom to come back in, maybe thinking Absalom's going to be the next uh, leader or, or whatever. But David does not restore a relationship with Absalom. It's not a good thing. And Absalom comes up and tries to overthrow his father, you know. In fact, David's run out of Jerusalem, and uh, they, they kind of go to bat, battle against one another. Absalom had this long flowing hair, out riding, uh, trying to find David to put him to death. He gets caught in a tree, right? hanging by his hair. It's an interesting sort of thing. One of David's men comes and runs him through with a spear, kills him. Um, even when uh, David was about to, uh, about to die, and it was time for... Uh, one of his sons to take the, uh, take the, uh, the, the, become the next king. You remember what happens? The wrong one tries to, tries to worm his way in there, tries to force his way in, and it's supposed to be Solomon. And uh, so there's, there's even intrigue with that and warring that goes on at that point. Uh, David's, uh, the consequences of David's sin lives on we are forgiven and a restored uh, fellowship with God comes about but there are consequences to our sins and today if a believer should go out and, and uh, get intoxicated and get behind the wheel of a car and go down the road and, and hit a pedestrian or even somebody else in another car and you kill them there are consequences to our actions. Does God forgive and restore a relationship? Yes. But there are consequences, long-term consequences so often for our sins. Does it mean that there's a one-to-one -one correlation between our sins and well, what happens? We say, um, <laughs> I, I, I said, said a bad word at the person that uh, cut me off in traffic. I cursed them and I knew I shouldn't have done that. And uh, then I wound up losing the $50 bill I had in my wallet. Direct correlation. No, not, not necessarily. Is everything bad that happens to us because of a sin that we did? No, not necessarily that either. Certain Job is one you can look at that way. Job, the righteous one. Um, but we do need to understand that so very often there are long-term consequences to our sins. Restored fellowship with God, which is the greatest thing ever. We are forgiven. But we need to be careful about our sins so that the long-term consequences don't necessarily cause such hurt, not only for us, but 
those around us as well. And that is something that happened with David. Not to end on a downer, but to end on the most positive thing there is definitely the joy of forgiveness and the joy of a restored relationship with God, which was certainly something that David knew and knows today as he is in the fellowship of believers surrounding the throne in heaven with God and his people there. And we'll be forever together with us when our Lord returns and we all are joined together in that family forever to rejoice in the Lord and the consequences of sin are no more on the earth. Well, let me pray for us. Father.